The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Daylin Harudner. She's a Cuban-American, and we're going to discuss today why communism isn't the answer to solving all our environmental problems. So, Daylin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me here. What I see in a lot of the environmental world is people going so far to the left that I even see people saying, well, socialism would be better. Um, You know, there's obviously some people, especially in America right now, who are kind of cheering on communism. And Dalen's going to tell us a little bit about her own experience with these things because she knows so much about Cuba. And then we're going to relate it to an environmental perspective. Uh, So can you hold an environmental protest in Cuba? You can't hold any environmental or any protest in Cuba for that matter. The only protests in Cuba that are allowed are actually organized by the government. And they do have organizations that cater to uh, environmental causes, but not necessarily involving the population. It's mostly for um, international propaganda to collect funds from, you know, international Uh, sources and stuff like that. There's really not a a, like a firm environmental movement that actually involves the Cuban community, the people. Wow. So if the government wanted to get money from an organization, they could just have a whole bunch of people come and organize something and then get money that way. That seems a little. Yeah, they do do it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. They do it all the time. That's the way they they sell their um, their system to the world. That's very evident. Once you leave Cuba and you see the ML, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Things are not as I you know, believed them to be while I was there. Yeah. So what if somebody saw that someone was dumping toxic waste into, you know, a river or somewhere? Um, like if they wanted to organize a protest and let's say they did and they had a bunch of people come out and said, you know, we don't want these things being dumped in the river anymore, what would happen to those people? Would they be arrested? They would be questioned. And those people, just to let you know, there isn't a way for regular people to be dumping waste anywhere in Cuba because regular people don't have access to any sort of machinery or factory or, you know, it's all government controlled. Some Cubans do have boats, small boats, in which they're allowed to fish limited species. But other than that, you wouldn't have someone dumping any waste or anything harmful unless it's an actual entity, you know, from the government because they control everything that's got to do with production and everything else. There is a, a just parentheses. I've been to Cuba as an adult and the less in the past five years and the waste and the contamination is astounding. Oh no. Um, I have a, a, a brother-in-law. He's a fisherman 
and he tells me he does um, diving and he tells me that right there where El Malecón and Havana is, that long wall that, you know, around, uh, that surrounds the ocean, known for so many raptors, you know, uh, jumping from there to seek freedom in rafts. He says that when he used to dive uh, 10 years ago, you know, it wasn't, you couldn't see uh, so much contamination as you can now. He says that a lot of species are gone. And he also says that when he dies now, he sees a layer of cans in the bottom of El Malecón on the seafloor. Um, and that's just someone that's able to see it. If you're, you know, standing on top, you know, on dry land, you don't see that. So as far as I know, democracies and, you know, kind of capitalist societies are the best in terms of cleanliness and zero waste and the environment. And so some people might say, well, what about the Scandinavian countries like Denmark or Sweden? You know, they have more of like a, a democratic capitalist kind of thing going on. Like it's a mix. Like they have private health care, they have public health care, but everybody pays like really, really high taxes. So it's it's not the same kind of thing as like proper socialism or communism where you have basically usually a dictator and they're just controlling absolutely every aspect of everything, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that it is a lot better when you have a lot of people competing and a lot of people bringing their ideas forth where you have freedom to go protest if there's something going on. Like I would imagine there'd be a trash problem. There's a garbage pickup and you wouldn't know it because when you walk through the streets of Havana, or any other city, you could see the trash piling up right there in the corners. The smell, you know, you you can imagine the smell is horrible. Uh, Contamination, it's gross. And as far as recycling, no, there isn't a system where you actually separate your plastics and your, they don't have that. So, yeah, I would imagine that if they're lying about the protests, you know, if they're holding their own protests against themselves to get money from outside sources, then I wouldn't put it past them to lie about, you know, what they're doing with the trash and the ocean's right there. So who knows, right? Because a lot of countries, that's the best place for them to get rid of it because it's a cheap and easy way to get it out out of sight and out of mind, right? Do you know what source of electricity Cuba uses? I guess it's like fuel oil. They use, uh, they have thermoelectric electric plants. That's good, right? Yeah, but the, the only issue with these plants is they are harming a lot of the ecosystems around them. Uh, I was in Felton. Felton is one of the places where they have one of their, one of their huge plants. And this place uh, has lost a lot of the marine life because the plant heats up the waters so much that really? it's impossible for some of the marine life to survive. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it might be too like I'm sure there's coral around Cuba, right? Oh yeah, a lot of coral and a lot of the species that these people depended on to, you know, fish and eat uh have disappeared from from that particular area because of the thermoelectric plant. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that about that at all. I just read that some of the fuel oil comes from Venezuela, uh, but yes. there's ac- there are actually problems with accessing fossil fuels. And I think actually I saw this in one of your videos where you were saying something about there's frequent electricity 
outages. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that, like how that would harm the environment? So for the one thing I'm thinking is that if you have all your food in the fridge and there is an electricity outage, wouldn't all of that just be spoiled? Because it's it's pretty warm there, right? Yes, it's warm and humid and the outages sometimes last 8 to 12 hours. So, you know, your whole fridge just, yeah, your food goes bad very often because of the outages. Uh, And and at some times uh, during these 62 years, there were less outages. You know, they go through ups and downs, but outages are a normal part of Cuban life. And the way they excuse it, they say it's because there are shortages and they want to save energy. So everybody has to ship in and, you know, uh, and just be without electricity for a while. The truth is a lot of these plants have not been maintained for a while. Parts break and they're not repaired. And on top of that, it is also a mechanism that they use to control people because if you're busy trying to, you know, save your food and you don't have ice and you don't have electricity to charge your phones, it's hot, you're fanning, you know, uh, if you have elderly or a baby and it's super humid or people that, you know, have different conditions, uh, people don't have time uh, or energy to think of anything else but their immediate need uh, for comfort and, 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 and health. So it's also a way to keep people under control and keep people under that um, constant mode of survival. Yeah, that's what that woman said that went on Joe Rogan from North Korea. Did you happen to hear that interview? I did. So she was saying kind of the same thing that, you know, you get this dictator in and if the dictator keeps everybody at a level where they're they're hungry all the time, then they're not going to fight you because they're too exactly. hungry. Yeah, and you're hungry scared. and you're busy. It's not only the yeah. physical hunger, it's the quest for hunger, for food, uh, because you know that tomorrow you're going to have to solve, you know, your issue of food for your family. So you kind of have to go to sleep that night thinking that you got to wake up and make a long line or, or do something illegal, you know, steal something from the, the, the restaurant or the bakery where you work. Um, how are you going to sneak it out? You know, all those things go through regular people in Cuba. And when you're trying to just meet your very basic needs, you, you, you usually don't have time or energy to rebel. Yeah, it's scary, I think. But and, and that's, you know, it's yeah. horrible to think that someone would actually want that. But I think it's important that we learn about it. I watched another video of yours and it I I believe you said that there is a Cuban serving a 30-year jail sentence for possessing beef. Is this true? Oh no, there are many Cubans serving sentences for for beef. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, beef was illegal in Cuba up to a few months ago. And yeah, a lot of people are in jail for killing a cow way more than, not in quantity of people, but a lot of people are serving sentences way more severe than people who have killed human beings. So like, is Castro a vegan? Like, I don't get it. Why would why would this be a thing? Well, this apparently this becomes out of a shortage of cows. And again, we go back to controlling and the the beef was readily available for the tourist industry. And uh, it is it was available in certain limitations to the the elderly, 
because after a certain age, I believe your rations include a, a, a certain amount of beef or bones, like like I guess to do soups and stuff that would be more nutritious for people who are elderly with certain conditions that would need more iron, you know, stuff like that. So because your rations are determined based on age and need. So wow. yeah, so beef was illegal and it's still it's still very limited because even though it's now quote unquote legal, there's still a lot of restrictions. Like you can kill a cow, but you have to have at least seven cows and then you can probably you can kill one, but who which Cuban has seven cows at this point? Like, you know, so it's still very, very, very strict. So it's hard to believe that Cubans go through all of this, but yes, it's it's unbelievable. I'm sure that there's probably a vegan list listening somewhere. If I haven't scared all the vegans away already on the show, because I have <laughs> I have uh, done a show where we talk about how beef is actually like pretty good for the planet and for people, which a lot a lot of people were mad about. But let's go back to that for a second. So North America was full of buffalo. So buffalo are like natural to the Great Plains of North America, right, right? in Canada and the U.S. There were more buffalo like poundage back then than there are cows now, which means that we could actually increase the amount of cows that we have in North America and it would still be at a natural level for how much uh, methane they produce with their farts because everybody's like, oh, cows produce too much methane. But it's part of the natural cycle. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to get rid of that, right? It's a natural, normal thing from a normal animal. They're also really good for the soil. Um, Their poop is like an excellent, excellent fertilizer. Um, and it keeps the prairie grasses growing and, and you can use it for growing food and all these things. So it's actually like Absolutely. a pretty decent thing for the environment. But then the health is actually really good as well because people need this protein source. It's got all these vitamins in it and different things, right, that are good for our health. And so the whole vegan movement is like, I get it and I, I respect it that you don't want to hurt animals. Um, but for a lot of people, it's a it's a vital, vital lifeline to have these you know, nutritional, nutritionally dense calories. Um, So I think it's a good thing to look at Cuba and see how much is regulated because I can see this movement starting in America where people are really demonizing cattle ranchers and cattle farmers. And I think that could be very dangerous for, you know, the health of people. And uh, I don't really like that the you know that environmentalists are pushing for the the government to regulate it or to reduce animal production now there are factories that are really evil i think that really do bad bad like mistreatment of the animals and so i think that's where we should work on making things better for animals uh but you know if cows are outside roaming their best lives and stuff i think that's a different story so very interesting to hear how much beef is regulated and that it's difficult to have access and that it's coming back because when you say you can have seven cows and then you can kill one. But if you're saying you can't own land, then whose land do you go and raise these cattle on? And how do you protect them from other people not stealing your cattle and saying that they're theirs? Because I'm sure Cubans aren't allowed to have guns, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you even like build your cattle herd and then start that i don't know it's just a little well, bit scary isn't it yeah it's the thing in cuba is that some people uh, are they live in certain you know areas where there is cattle uh, but it's few and far between and is very monitored and they are required to give the state the the meat and you are required to deal with the state 
with your cattle or your cow's milk or anything like that. Any animal that you have, you have to register it with the state. So I, I do know of people that lived in, people that live here now, but they used to live in remote areas where they used to, like if a, a cow had a calf, they wouldn't register it. They would hide the cow that was pregnant, um, and, you know, and they would not register the calf because the, the inspectors would take so long to get to those areas because they're not, you know, easily accessible because they're in mountains or they would hide their cows and their calf. When you get caught, you know, the consequences are very, are very grave. But the people that actually have cattle or cows, very few people and they're heavily monitored. Wow. It's it's sad and frightening, I think, to demonize and make a criminal out of people who are trying to feed themselves in this way that works. Like animal husbandry has been going on for, what, 10,000 10, years or, or, or whatever. It's been going on forever. And people, like I grew up in an area where people raise animals and they treat them so well. Like the guests we had on yes. talking about cattle, they have like a masseuse that comes for their cows. Like Right. It's a job they take actual pride in. Yeah. Most people do. I'm sure there are people who do abuse animals. And like I say, yeah. that's absolutely wrong. Um, but I think for the most part, my experience, you know, people treat their animals really well and spend a lot of money here in Canada on taking care of them. So is there a problem with like bushmeat like Africa has where people are going and killing wild animals to eat? There's not much of that going on in Cuba, to be honest. Yeah. There that's isn't. Good, people that were in the, in the special period, which was... Uh, Back in the 90s, people used to kill everything from horses to cats to dogs. There was not a cat to be found in Havana because people were eating it because everybody was, you know, hungry. So they resorted to eating all sorts of everything. But wild animals like wild boars, uh, you know, it happens, but it's not something that you hear about too often. Yeah, I worry about that for Canada because we have so much wildlife here. And if food, yeah. like food has just skyrocketed with everything that's going on. And so I just worry about families who... Being limited. Yeah, who just, you know, it's it's free to go and shoot like a turkey, but it's going right. to cost you like $40 to buy one. So I just kind of worry about that a little bit as things get tighter here where we are in North America and, you know, food gets more expensive and stuff. So... Cuba had like beef rations. They had milk rationed. Uh, I watched a video by you that said five eggs per month. That's insane because I eat two eggs a day for my own chicken. So, me too. Oh, do you? I, I like yeah. eggs. You're very healthy. Me um, too. But yeah, five eggs per month. Like, th- is that per person? That's five eggs per month per person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so like it just boggles my mind. Like because chickens are so easy to take care of. Oh my gosh. And eggs every day but you got to feed them right right how are you going to do that if you if you can't um but anyway so yeah there's so many rations on different things but were the elites always eating well because i know tourists always had food available you know over the last few decades so is there like an elitist kind of government class that always had access to things or were they all regulated the same Oh, no. Yeah. The the elite has everything. They have access to excellent health care. They have uh, separate facilities for diplomats and they have uh, exclusive neighborhoods that used to be like the, the 
high class neighborhoods in the old times uh, before communism, they took over all of that. So those homes of the millionaires uh, that were in Cuba, they took over all those properties. Because they got to travel, they got the opportunity to purchase things abroad and have things that other people didn't have in Cuba. Yeah, see, the promise of communism is that everyone's equal, but it's not true because the people who are telling you that you're going to be equal, they're controlling you. So basically what's going to happen is, yeah, they're going to take all the rich and poor people that you know and kind of make them into this class of whatever you want to call it, serfs, proletariat, uh, peasants, whatever you want to say. And then they're going to be their own elitist class because they're the ones making the rules. They're the ones sending the money everywhere. They're the ones saying who gets beef and who doesn't. And of course, they're going to have access to that beef, right? And we did see this in Canada, actually, a little bit in terms of travel with politicians. So in the very beginning of COVID, everybody was not allowed to travel, or they were recommended that they don't travel. But then all our politicians were flying around on all these private planes, like going wherever they wanted. Like we don't have access to those types of planes. This whole promise of like everything's going to be better, I just, I don't believe it personally. And I think that Cuba is a bit of a a good example. I don't want to say good example because it's very sad, I think, what happens to people there and uh, a bit of a sad picture to see what can happen when you give the government so much power. Yes. No, absolutely. And I, I do hope Cuba serves as an example it isn't the best example of a, a functioning society, but I do hope it serves as an example of what not to do and what path yeah. not to go down on. You know, a lot of people looking from the outside in, they believe Cuba is a tropical paradise. They believe that the healthcare is great. And this is all the government has been pushing so much propaganda for 62 years, you know, so they've been very efficient. Now that the social media has been infiltrated basically in Cuba, they are battling and that's why they've struggled to keep the image alive, the image they were given the world. And so I am really glad it's happening because Cuba should never be the example to follow in and under any circumstance for anything in a society, it should never be an example to follow. Yeah. I never understood why Che Guevara t-shirts were so popular in university. (laughs) Che is a trigger word for me. And I think for every Cuban that's not a communist, he was a cold-blooded assassin. And he he was racist too, wasn't he? He Absolutely. He He was utilized by Fidel Castro to gain momentum and to get rid of a whole lot of people. Unfortunately, he's become some sort of a fashion icon and people, you know, wear him on T-shirts and belts. And and you ask a lot of those people, hey, do you know who that is? And they have no idea. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a handsome face, right? And so people are just fooled by like this artsy kind of version of his handsome face on a T-shirt and it looks great. But then, yeah, when you ask them, they're like... You know, something about a motorcycle. He's a cool motorcycle guy. It's like, well, (laughs) yes, but (laughs) a lot of things. But yeah, it's crazy. Um, Everything is going crazy now these days, it seems. Uh, But the last question I did want to ask you, just one more thing um, in relation to the environment and and Cuba and, you know, how these governments can cause problems for the environment. Uh, Can you tell us about how households typically get water? It depends on where you live. If you live in the country, it comes through a pipe and you have to have containers out to collect water. It could come around every 
every other day. For, uh, it used to be. Now it's about every two weeks from what I hear from my family. In Havana or in other cities, it comes through your main water line. Like you don't really have a schedule. It just, sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. So what happens is it fills up your your cistern or whatever system you have. Like some people have 55 gallon um, tanks and it fills that up. So you kind of have to work with that until the next time you get water. So let's say you're in Havana and your water came, you better fill up everything you have because you don't know the next time you're going to get water. So while your tank is getting filled and your cistern is getting filled, it would be a great idea to just fill up your buckets. And that's what people do just so they have water to do the basic things, brushing teeth, etc. You don't flush toilets for number one, only number two. If you live in a building, uh, usually the pressure is not strong enough to get to the top floors. So you have to go down, up and down the stairs, regular buildings where normal people live. Uh, don't have elevators and they go up to 12, 12 stories. So if you live in a story, uh, you know, floor number 11, you have to go up and down the stairs and carry your water up to your, to your apartment. Well, yeah, that's tough. That's, you know, but how, how would we get to a point where Cuba has all clean water? Cause even Peru was like this, like you weren't supposed to drink the water coming out of the taps. And so, Oh no, you have to boil it. Oh yeah. Yeah. You have to boil it. So none of this is clean, like drinking water. It's just regular. Oh no, not a, no, no, oh. no. All the water in Cuba is boiled. Ever since I w- was born. Yeah, unless you're getting it in like water bottles, and then where does right. all that? And and good luck with finding water bottles. And if you're like a Cuban regular, you, water bottles are a luxury. But if you're just gonna try and change the political system to socialist or communist then you're going to basically have a class of the ruling elites who live in palaces and mansions and can eat whatever they want, you know, like Bill Gates on his private jet eating his hamburgers and then, you know, telling other people they shouldn't. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, this stuff is going to come with a big political change. So I think we have to be very careful if if you are listening and you're thinking that, you know, maybe this would be better for the people. I don't think it will be in the end. And I don't think it will be for the environment. I think it could end up a lot worse because you don't have that competition of, you know, the the garbage disposal trucks, you know, maybe there's a few companies and they're Mm -hmm. bidding to get a contract to do the garbage removal for a city, and that's going to be worth millions of dollars. So of course, it's a benefit to them. But if they're not going to get paid, you know, any more than anyone else why would they bother to do all that work and get all that equipment and work those long hours like there's got to be incentive right to keep everything going uh was there anything else that you wanted to add daylin about the environment and about all of this stuff just that this is leaning towards the far left because they are pushing the whole environment thing and just keep in mind that when politicians push a subject it doesn't mean that they really care all that much about that subject they just want the people who care about that subject to jump on board so they could push all of their agenda and never we, i think we have learned never to trust a politician when they say they're going to do something to follow through with it regardless of who it is left or right so i think that as people we should care about the environment because it is where we live and we should have respect and be teaching that to our children to respect the environment. And I think we have way more power 
ask people if we don't give it to the government. Because if we keep that power, we're able to develop um, organizations that push for change and actually can push the government and put pressure to get things done. If we give the government that power, who's going to pressure them when they don't get things done? We lose that power and we have everything to lose because it's in their hands then. So I think if we really do want to do something about the environment, we have to keep the power with the people and continue to educate everyone on the importance of preserving the environment. Yeah, that's so well said, because imagine if you can't protest anymore, you know, how are you going to, you know, go in and help your cause if the government is going to put you in jail if you do it, right? Like that's pretty exactly. that's pretty crazy and we have those benefits now in in a lot of these countries that we live in where yeah, you can you can hold these big environmental rallies and and put pressure on the government, but as you see in Cuba, the, they have no power to come together as a group and say, "Hey, we want clean drinking water." and kind of demand it from the government. But in in Canada, we like we have this still. I don't know for how long we're going to have it, but but you know, you don't want to lose those things because they're very important um, in so many aspects of our life. So yeah, that was absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been a good conversation and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on Daylin. So thank you very much. Oh, no, Laura, thank you so much. It's been a complete pleasure. Oh, and also, uh, where where can people find you if they want to check out some of your your videos? You're on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Yes, it's under Spanglish Generation, all three platforms. Spanglish Generation, but um, yeah. So thanks, Daylin. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Daylin Horutner. She's a Cuban American, and she was on the show today talking about the trouble with communism and that it might not solve all our environmental issues. And you can find her online, Spanglish Generation. Uh, she makes a lot of videos talking about her experience. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.